When it comes to discussing our bodies, we often get a little uncomfortable. Women's health issues are often seen as off-limits, taboo topics we just don't talk about. It's time for that to change. Let's talk. Welcome to the Brave Mama podcast, where we are going to do exactly that. Discuss everything from periods to pregnancy, motherhood to menopause. No topic is off-limits. Join Stephanie Thompson, the brave mama and author of The Day My Vagina Broke, as she asks other brave women about their personal health challenges and triumphs. You will learn, laugh and cry as Stephanie finds out everything you wanted to know but were too afraid or embarrassed to ask. So, grab a cuppa and enjoy. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Lowdown with Brave Mama. This is Steph Thompson, your host, who's feeling really lit up today. I must say, this is my absolute most favourite time of the week. To be able to come into the studio, sit down, have amazing conversations with women and then share them with you, I don't think there's much more that lights me up. I feel like we've heard a couple of those terms like fill your cup and then light you up. To me, my personal opinion is that the main difference is filling our cup is just giving ourselves permission to take time and rest from all the things, the things that we do in parenthood. Light you up is next level. It is when you get that feeling in your gut that you've got a task, a job, a journey, that when you wake up in the morning, you just can't wait to get there and do it. That is what light you up feels like. And if you've never experienced this before, This podcast is going to take you on that journey. So we have talked about women's pelvic health, periods, menopause, pregnancy, motherhood for the past two years, and our audience has grown and changed with us along the way. Me too included. Seven years down the track living with pelvic organ prolapse, it is not the only thing in my life. At the very beginning, at the start of the journey, I could easily say it consumed every minute of my life. Fast forward, there are actually things I really look forward to, just like this in the podcast. And we want that for you. You absolutely deserve to have the positive things in your life as well. This is why we invited Rietta Bookshire to the show today, because she's going to share her journey to motherhood, but then what comes next and the things that she does right now to help fill her cup and light her up. Stick around to the very end of this episode to find out what we are going to be covering in our Friday Fast episode this week and how you can potentially join in to the conversation as well. So grab your cuppa, sit down and enjoy this conversation with Rietta Bookshire. Hi, Rietta. Welcome to the show. It's so lovely to see you and talk to you. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here again and to talk with you while we had such a good chat last time. We did. So for all of our listeners, I actually was a guest on Rietta's podcast not too long ago. So we know each other's story a little bit, but today I've asked her to come on to share her story because this season we are talking about all different types of journeys to motherhood, you know, pregnancy and to menopause. So Rietta, before we start, I would like to know a little bit more about who you were before becoming a mum. 
Oh my goodness. I, I guess was a bunch of things. I was a wife and a daughter and an author and a podcaster myself. Actually, I guess I didn't become a podcaster till later, but that's all right. We'll leave it on the list anyway. (laughs) And I'm an explorer of the great outdoors, a fitness enthusiast, all sorts of just really fun things. <laughs> and I hope they can, I hope that continues in your story because a lot of people say I was so much fun before I became a parent. <laughs> I think we can all relate to that somewhat, right? I think I was fun in a different way. You know, yeah. fun in your 20s is different than fun in your 30s. Yeah. And then again in your 40s, I can tell you. Not only have I rediscovered who I am now in my mid 40s, I've never felt more okay now than I did in my very, very self-conscious teenagers and 20s and even 30s, I think, trying to people please, you kind of just get that bit more of a, okay, this is it. We're good, right? Yeah. Isn't it amazing how that happens? Like when you're 20, you dread being 30 and 40, then you hit 30 and 40 and you're like, oh, this isn't so bad. (laughs) I quite like this. I wish I could be this girl so long ago. Could you share with us what your journey to motherhood was like? Yeah. So my journey was probably I don't, I guess I don't want to say easier than most. I was, I was lucky. I know I have many friends that have struggled more so than I did. We were very lucky. We were married very shortly by the time we got pregnant. It was one of those things we were like, if we get pregnant, we get pregnant. If we don't, we don't. And it just was the roll of the dice that we happened to. So getting pregnant was not hard for me. And the pregnancy was And then labor was not so much. So like I told you before, it was kind of, it was a good, it was good. It was a happy little sandwich. I had a good start and not so good middle, but a good ending. Let's talk a little bit about your pregnancy because you said it wasn't so easy. And I think for anyone who tunes into this podcast, pregnancy is a big thing. We don't always have that fairy tale picture of a lady, you know, standing on the beach, rubbing her belly and everything's just amazing and glowing. Not everyone feels glowing. And maybe you could just share with us a little bit about that journey for you, what what that was like. Yeah. I mean, you look, you kind of look forward to it, right? Everybody, the excitement of getting pregnant, finding out you're pregnant is so exciting. And then I kind of felt like I got ran over because then I was just so, so exhausted. I, I always thought people over-exaggerated like, oh, they can't really be that tired. They're probably just feeling extra. It, I woke up tired. It was just, wow absolutely exhausting. And then I went from that to being really, really sick, like points where I had to go to the urgent care and get fluids and anti-nausea medicine. Cause I was just so miserable. I only gained 17 pounds my entire pregnancy. So that shows you how sick I was the entire time. Yeah, and the doctor's always like, yeah, the doctor's like, you need to, you know, you need to gain a little more if you can. And I'm like, I'm trying, I promise. <laughs> Sarah, I promise. Did they name that a particular thing in the US? I don't think I quite fell into the category because I wasn't that bad, but they do call it hydromyesis. Okay. I, I'm, hopefully I'm saying that right. It's something close to that. Mm, I know a, a big condition. Yes, where you're just sick, sick, sick all the time. I only ended up in the urgent care twice. So I don't either that or my doctor just never told me mm-hmm. <laughs> if I fell into that category. But I think a lot of people have it worse, which I can't, I can't even wrap my head around because it was bad enough as it was. Yeah. But, and then once I finally kind of reached a point where I started to feel better, then the heartburn set in. So then it was just another 
thing where I was like, oh, I'm finally going to feel better. Not so much. So then I had that all the way to the end. And then they tell you, which really aggravated me. Actually, I should just say it for real. It pissed me off. They yeah, say the moment that. the baby comes out, the, the, the symptoms go away. That's bullshit because I still had heartburn for two months afterwards. Oh. I had to take Prilosec, you know, like the, not that the prescription, you can get it over the counter now, but if I didn't take it every day, forget it. I was miserable. So it's a big fat fly. <laughs> they tell you the moment the baby comes out, it goes away. Cause it did not. Cause it's like an anti and acid or something where it's supposed to have that cooling effect, but it doesn't. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that I had heartburn with my first at the very end. Every time I ate something, I thought it was the food I was eating. And then they give you, I think in Australia, it might be called Mylanta or something. And it's just oh, yeah. like a, they have mint, that. a minty flavor. But I don't know about you. Do you feel like if when you said, oh, I have heartburn, people are like, oh, it's just like, well, they've just got a little headache or something really minor without truly understanding how it feels that your heart is about to not only disintegrate in your body, but also then come out of your mouth. Yes. Yeah. I definitely think some people don't understand it. Like they think, oh, you just have like a little bit of an upset stomach or like, what do they call it? Bubble guts, you know, which is not necessarily a bad coin to, or phrase to call it, but it's so much more than that. Like you Mm. said, it's literally like there's a fire in your entire esophagus and mine would get bad enough that it would make me vomit. Like it was just horrible and I could eat something like mashed potatoes something super bland Mm -hmm. and I feel like crap goodness me and they they always say yeah none of that is really talked about in pregnancy books or pre-pregnancy that these these things can happen to you and you can get you might see maybe one one or two celebrities talk about how sick they were in their pregnancy but having to go to the hospital because you were that unwell no one talks about that in pregnancy no, I think the first celebrity, she's a comedian. Oh crap. What's her name? Amy something. It's blanking me right now. She was the first person that I remember really seeing that she showed it all like the vomiting, the everything, like she did not pussyfoot around it. Is that Amy Schumer? Yes. There you go. Amy Schumer. Yeah. I yes. know, and I know her, I know that exactly who you meant. Cause I remember seeing those things on social media too and thinking, wow, that's good. Cause that's what it's really like. It's not always glowing and being feeling amazing. And, yes. for, and let's just say for those women who have amazing pregnancies, that's amazing for you. That's great. I had that. Yes. I, I, I felt very grateful for that. So we're not saying anything against anyone not having a good pregnancy. It's just that we're only telling half of the information. I would have loved to have a pregnancy like that. Absolutely. But it just was not in the cards for me. And then I hate too that they tell you that it means that you're having a healthy pregnancy when you feel really sick because it means the, like the levels are high. And I'm like, that does not make me feel better about this situation yeah. at all. <laughs> and did you feel supported during that when you were really sick or just like, oh, it's another pregnant woman who's sick, whatever? Honestly, no, I didn't really feel supported as much as I love my mom. And she was supportive in a lot of ways. She just couldn't relate because she was like you. She had a really great pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just something she couldn't quite wrap her head around. And she sure. thought like, oh, if you just get outside and you get some fresh air and you walk, you'll feel better. And I'm like, I wish I would love, I wish that worked, but it just, it doesn't, it does not. Like, I remember going to the grocery store and I had lemon drops in my pocket or lemon heads, whatever you would like to call them. And I literally had to lean on the cart and keep popping lemon head, heads in my mouth or I would have just spewed everywhere. everywhere. 
but I had to go grocery shopping. I had to eat. Yeah. You were growing another person. Of course you did. I just remember praying that I could get through the grocery trip. My please let me just grab what I need and check out and get home before Mm -hmm. I vomit. (laughs) Yeah. And this is not exactly the same. However, there's some similarities in what you're saying. When in 2007, I had chemotherapy for cancer. And as soon as they put the drip in, I would start vomiting. And I looked around the room and no one else was vomiting, which made me think that am I something wrong with me? And at the time, my partner was a paramedic and he just said, just stop. Would you just stop vomiting? Thinking that I could. And then I had this mental health spiral of going, well, am I, am I choosing to vomit? Because I don't want it or am like do I have any control and that was really hard mentally how did you feel mentally when you were going through that yeah exactly it it was hard oh hold on I'm gonna kiss my kiddo good night sure I love it those who can't see this is just beautiful good day mate anyway love, um, you know what I love that I'll show we are all mums and the fact you just kissed your boy good night and he's 10 that was so beautiful thank you yeah, he has to. I love that he still has to kiss me goodnight. I'm waiting for the day when he's a teenager and he's like, drop me off a block away. <laughs> As we all did to our parents, right? So then yeah. you you got through it, obviously, because we just saw that beautiful young man of yours. What about the labor? What was that like? I did get through it. And like I said, the labor was was so, <laughs> it was so much better. I only, it was like six, seven hours. It was not long. I went to the hospital. Well, actually my husband, he came home from deployment and I picked him up at noon from the airport. And I went into labor that evening at like six or 7 PM. And obviously because I hadn't seen him and you hear a lot of wives tales about getting intimate with your partner induces labor. Well, for me, it absolutely hundred percent did within 30 minutes, things I was already cramping, things were already starting to move. I literally had to stand at the kitchen counter and eat my dinner because I couldn't even sit how far along were you? How, how close to your due date was this? I was 39 weeks. So I was, okay. I was 39 weeks of the day. So I was literally a, a week early. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, my grandma, is- my, yeah, <laughs> my grandma was super upset because she had seven children and she always wanted one to be born on Sunday. And I had one and he was born on Sunday. Oh, bless. That's beautiful. Well, it was for her still. That's nice. That's what I told her. I was like, it's, it's, you, you get a grace, you know, it's through you. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. Correct. That's so beautiful. So you guys went to the hospital when that started, everything's, they say, what is it? You eat curry or you have sex or something like that. But for you, it was being intimate. And then you head off to the hospital. Yeah. And I actually drove myself just because I've dealt with anxiety since I was really little. And some of it relates to control. And as you know, with labor, like it's already such a, like you're, you're not, your body's just doing it that I think driving just made me feel better. Yeah. Like that I was in control, like, okay, well, if I'm, if you're going to put me in labor, I'm going to drive you there. (laughs) (laughs) So I got there, they checked me in, they got me into a room and I feel like what they do for a lot of first time moms, they are like, eh, I think this might be a false alarm, drink some water, have a popsicle, see what happens go home. Yeah. They try and send you home, don't they? Yeah. Go (laughs) home. Yes. So I tried all the things. It was not working. It actually made me sick. I vomited. I don't know if it's just because my body was like, you don't need all this right now. Like your body needs to be empty and ready to go. I don't know. It just was not happy with it. The nurse was not happy 
that I didn't show her to her, but I told her, I'm like, it, it was purple melted popsicle. Like you did not miss anything. <laughs> it was purple water. Yep. And they did, they tried to send me home even still after that. And my poor husband was in this weird limbo of, do I believe the nurse? Do I believe the wife? What do I do? Of course. So he, yeah. So poor, poor him. I actually, I feel, I feel bad later, you know, obviously at that moment I had no idea. Yeah. So he ended up calling a friend of ours and she said, listen to your wife. Thank God. Mm, go friend. <laughs> That's amazing. Go friend. <laughs> and I told them I wasn't leaving. And sure enough, only a couple hours later, they checked me. The first nurse, for whatever reason, thought I was only at a one. My husband called my mom and said, it's going to be a while. She took her Ambien, went to go to sleep. And a second nurse came in and checked me. I don't know if it was because that was a new nurse or if they were just, I don't know if they were just preparing for whatever or making sure. But then it was only a couple minutes later that another nurse checked me and she goes, oh no, you're at a six. Your water bag's oh, leaking. I need wow. you to lay down. And I was like, oh my goodness. So my poor mom was super disappointed because obviously after she took an Ambien, she, she can't get in the car. That's just not good news. So mm. she was disappointed she couldn't be there, but it was very, it was still nice. It was very intimate. You know, it was just me and my husband. Okay. But she popped the water bag. I went all the way straight to a 10 and he was out like a half hour later. Wow. So it's, it's not even like the first nurse checked you at one centimeter and then you had time to dilate to six. It was only a couple of minutes, unless that can happen. I don't know if anyone's listening and they know, let us know. Yeah, I don't but, know. And I'm sure my timeline is off, but it definitely wasn't like mm, a long period of time. Sure. Yes. That's and why I think she might've been like in training or something Yeah, because she checked. And then I don't know how you confuse a one and a six, but I've never felt a cervix, so I don't know. Me either. I have one. I don't even know. Like, it's funny how in our own female anatomy, we still don't really know how things work and the body is so intricate, obviously, and complex. But yeah, yeah I didn't even know that a cervix was different to this and that and all the different parts yeah. until after kids, right? Well, it doesn't help that you can't see down there, you know, unless you get a mirror and you do some pretzel moves, you can't really yeah. see it either. And for all of our young girls who might be listening, you should be doing that. Everyone should be feeling not ashamed and no taboo around looking at what is your body. And, and when I say normal, I'm saying that in parentheses because what it looks like now, and then you might have another look later and be like, oh, that's a different spot. Well, that's a different lump so that you're constantly just checking on your health. Yeah. No, that's a great reminder, actually, because I had an aunt that had vulvarian cancer. So V, vulva, ovarian cancer, not ovarian cancer. Yes. And if she had been looking because there was a growth. And so she went a year without knowing that there was a growth. So obviously wow. it progressed way more than it should have or needed to. I don't want to say should have way more than it could have if mm -hmm. she had been checking earlier an earlier intervention you know we yes. interviewed an amazing woman called Kath last season on our show and we talked about vulva cancer because it's it's more common than we think but yet we just don't talk about it breast cancer we've come so far and it's been amazing yes. but there's other things we need to start talking about which is my point exactly I didn't know that there's a difference between vulva and vagina at all at all like it's like your son would know the difference between testicles and penis because that's anatomy. But for and he can see it. Yeah, yeah. And then for some reason for girls, it's just always been, no, it's, you just tuck it away in your underpants and it's a, it's a private thing. It's Secret. actually funny. 
we were just watching a show the other day and I don't remember what they're, they were talking about hysterectomies and they were like, oh, so your vagina's gone. And they're like, no, 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 your uterus, your uterus and your vagina are two different things. And it was like, people don't know that. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't because we haven't been allowed to talk about it. It's, you know, been shrouded up in shame and taboo, but I love that you and I can have this open conversation. So you've had this amazing birth. And then what was the transition to motherhood like? And, you know, obviously taking baby home is very different to the pregnancy books. What was it like for you? It was hard. And I think part of my problem, well, this is me speculating. I was offered what's called the depo shot right after I had my son. So people who aren't familiar with depo, it's actually a form of birth control that comes in a shot. And, you know, I was in one of those like, hazes you know I just had a baby you're on this high of having a baby they also give you a little bit of drugs afterwards just to kind of mellow you out and I was like sure whatever you need me to do Hmm. didn't even think to actually think about what it was and why I would need it that soon because you can't have sex anyway you can't fathom having sex but you know it was something which was also a bad on mine because I was just like sure whatever you want me to do like whatever I'm supposed to do I'll do it. Hmm. So it was, it was to stop pregnancy. It was a birth control, which first of all, I couldn't even tell you the last time I took birth control because it gives me migraines. So I haven't taken birth control in years. I just had a baby. My hormones already messed up. And then they injected me with more hormones. I was, I remember calling my mom. I was so depressed. I was out with my son in the stroller, pushing him. And I was just crying. And I'm like, mom, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know why I'm sad. I don't understand. And she's just like, oh, honey, (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) So that was something I was not prepared for. Yeah. Like you hear people talk about postpartum and that's like the one thing I feel like people do talk about is postpartum depression. So that was one thing I was, yeah, that was one thing I was just still like the feeling I was not prepared for. And then just all the, the other things, the bleeding and the pain of recovering and your boobs hurting. And don't get me wrong. There's a lot of wonderful things holding your baby sure. and bonding with it. But there was just so many things that I was like, why did nobody tell me any of this? <laughs> I feel like all that loving and bonding stuff is covered. I feel like I've seen that a lot before becoming a mom. But like you said, even women who have had cesarean section births, still bleed and then they are shocked like well, why do I need a pad I've just had a baby via cesarean I didn't have a vaginal birth and so they get shocked that they're still bleeding as well because the, the lining's going away so like why are we treating women like they can't handle this information so we just don't tell them like it's like a big secret yeah I don't I don't know what it is and like you know, when you first get up after you have a baby and of course everybody comes and visits you, but you gotta, you know, you gotta go to the bathroom. You gotta get up. Like my poor dad was sitting there and I remember getting up and blood just like dripping on the floor as I'm going to the bathroom. And I'm more worried about being like, I'm sorry, dad, I'm sorry. than being like, yeah, this is a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it bizarre that we would happily sit and watch like national geographic of a giraffe birthing a calf and there's lots of blood and there's lots of stuff coming out and it's acceptable. It's like, oh, well, that's part of an animal kingdom birth. But yet we have blood of our own kind. And we're like, oh, what's what's wrong? <laughs> what's happening? Yeah. yeah. I do have to say those. I don't know if you guys get them in Australia, but those big 
meshy underwear that they give you is the greatest thing ever. I we took have, as many of those bad boys from the hospital that I could. <laughs> we have, I don't think they give them in hospital. They give you like a, a big pad. If you're lucky, they actually tell you to pack your own. They don't, I don't think they even provide them to be honest. Depends on your hospital. Depends if you're in public or private, but we have good friends of our show actually called postpartum panties. And it's the, Ooh, there you go. How exactly, catchy. I love it. <laughs> exactly what you've just described. But then we also have friends of the show called Moddy Body who have now reusable um, underpants oh, for maternity. Nice. For that. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be disposable. So there's lots of options is what I'm saying that you don't have to be feeling like you've got to bleed into your cotton underpants and all of that stuff after birth. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got this little baby, the emotions are going crazy for you and there's so much happening after obviously having such a hard pregnancy. Let's just call it as it is. It wasn't easy. Like your whole entire life changed for nine months while you were busily growing this baby. How did that affect you as a family? It was already hard enough because we were newlyweds and then he'd been gone and came back and then we threw a baby in the mix. So it was, it was hard, but it was a good learning experience. We learned to communicate. We learned to help each other. We pretty much learned by doing like, there was no, let's prepare for this. We just did it. I think if anything, it did make my husband and I closer. There were definitely moments we were like, get out. (laughs) I can't (laughs) handle you right now, but he has always been super supportive And I just did the best I could. Thank heaven for swings. I don't know what I would have done without a baby swing. I know not everybody like has the same experience, but Mm. that swing, I swear to God, saved my life. (laughs) He would wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I'd feed him and I'd put him back in the swing and he'd sleep for three hours. And it was like the most glorious three hours of my entire day. (laughs) And it's survival, isn't it? It's really funny how it is we have these tools like a swing or some people it might be something else and yet when we need to use them sometimes we feel bad or feel guilty I don't know about you but I had so much mother guilt oh yes do you co-sleep in the bed do you not co-sleep in the bed do you put them in the swing do you put them in those little jumper things like oh there's just so so many things thinking the thinking yes. hurts, right? I remember going to the pediatrician the first time, like my actual pediatrician, not the one that the hospital assigned. Yeah. And she asked me, she goes, you know, where does the baby sleep? Is the baby in the crib next to you? And I go, he sleeps in his own room. And she goes, good for you, mama. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I actually feel supported because so many people were surprised by that. Because a lot of people do, they co-sleep or have it just because it's easier. Yeah. But for me- I knew I wouldn't be able to sleep with him in the bed with me. I'd be too worried about rolling over on him or whatever. And I didn't want him to sleep next to me because I, I felt like that was the one place that I could be alone. Like, let me sleep for these, however many hours you grace me with, and then I'll be back. It was just so nice. That's why I knew I had the right pediatrician because she was like, good for you. So he slept in his own room from the very first day he was born. I love that you said that. Because I feel like people bring the baby into the room. I know we did, had the little bassinet crib because we felt we had to, to be a good mom, that term in parentheses. Yes. To be a good mom and a good new parent. It wasn't just about being easy for us. It was like, well, no, that's what you do because they're attached to you. And a whole lot of information I was given was about attachment bonding. 
that yes. if she's close, then she will feel you, she will smell you, and she'll feel safe and she'll sleep better. That wasn't the case at all <laughs> for us. It might be for some people, but my yeah. husband was the same. He's was scared of rolling on her and co-sleeping. He's like, I can't do this. You'll have to do it somewhere else because I'm paranoid and I can't sleep at all. And then you're not sleeping and I'm not sleeping. And two sleep deprived parents is not good in the mix. No, <laughs> that's not going to work. I had those moments too, though, because as much as I, I loved the swing, I had those moments where I was like, what if the swing breaks? What if he falls out of the swing? What if somebody comes over and is like, why are you, he's in the swing and you're in the bedroom or Judging. what if a fire comes out or a million things went through my mind, but he was sleeping and he was safe and he was strapped in and I was in the same house. We were just both sleeping and everybody always tells you to sleep when the baby sleeps. Yeah. So <laughs> that's hilarious. That's the funniest thing ever. How many things are now on TikTok about sleep while the baby's sleeping. And then as soon as the baby closes his eyes, you can see the mom pretending to lay down, but then she gets up and just quickly cleans the house or quickly folds the washing or quickly cooks the dinner. I was like, no one can sleep when the baby sleeps. Even if you were tired to, yeah. to try and lay down and sleep, it's like, oh man, that's that means I'm going to be backlogged even more. Yeah, that was the only time I could really ill in the morning because it's like you could justify it. You're like, it's 4 a.m. What am I going to do at 4 a.m. anyway? <laughs> yeah, it's dark. I can still sleep. My body's still yeah. ready. Yeah, wow. So I guess it's, I would really love to know, Rita, as you guys grew as a family, was there ever any conversations about adding more into your family, more children? Of course, we talked about it and we did. We went back and forth if we wanted two, if we just wanted to stick with one. And I think the two conversation was even... Cause you know, my husband knew how hard pregnancy was for me. So mm -hmm. it just came down to that. I, I did not want to do it again. And maybe to some that sounds selfish and maybe it is, but I just, I could not like just think, even thinking about it now, 10 years later, I'm like, nope, can't yeah. do it again. <laughs> so we decided one was good and we went along with it and it was good and we have no regrets. Amazing. And thank you very much for being so vulnerable and sharing that you maybe during that thought process, maybe second guessed yourself. And I, do you think that came from external pressure more so than what your needs were? Oh yeah. I mean, so many, I think people view the, what's the word the like quintessential family as, you know, mm. there's a brother and a sister and a mom and a dad. Granted, you can't control if you have girls or boys, but I feel like that's what a lot of people see. And my mom came from a big family and my husband has sisters and I was an only child. So, I mean, I, I knew what it was like. And there was times where I thought I wanted brothers or sisters. So I naturally thought, you know, well, my son might feel the same way. He might want brothers or sisters. Yeah. So I think we went through a wide range of emotions, but we came to what we thought was best because we want to give him whatever we can give him. And obviously the more children there are, the harder that is. Oh yeah. And people were just so judgy about it. Like, oh, how dare you not give him a sibling to play with? And I'm like, that's not a reason to have a baby. Wow. And did someone actually say that to you? Oh, yeah. Did somebody, a, a total stranger, somebody I didn't even know. I was helping my girlfriend at her garage sale. And this person, I didn't even know her name. Wow. And she's like, how selfish of you to not give your, your son a playmate. Goodness. Like, that's not a reason to have a baby. 
Wow, I bet I'm like speechless and my jaw just dropped because I thought, you know, people would say in the privacy of their own home because we all judge based on, on what we know. So how we're brought up and how we're raised, judgment is actually an important thing at some point to manage risk of danger and fear and all of that stuff. However, passing judgment onto you from that lady in the garage cell is not okay. And I think you sharing that with us is so good because I think we can all take a stop check now and again and like, oh, is she really wearing that? That's okay to think that. And, and, you know, if that lady thought that about your situation, fine, that's her business. But to make it your business and to push yes. you and make you feel bad about that, uh-uh, that's not okay. No. And trust me, I have it from the other side. I see somebody with six kids and I'm like, Lord, have mercy, bless her heart. Like <laughs> could not do it, but that's what she wanted. And that's wonderful. And like I said, my mom came from seven. I have, I tell my grandma all the time. I'm like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you remembered all their names and where they were. Cause I did. <laughs> I worry about where he is half the time. <laughs> totally. We've got big families. We've got a mix in our family of, I think we've got twos and threes and fours and then up to seven. So everyone is entitled to do how they want to do family, right? Yes. And I think going into motherhood and you guys having that family unit, what would be your advice to anyone listening right now who would like to make the decision to just have one baby or even no babies? Because we've got women listening who may not even be really thinking about that motherhood space. What would you say to them? I would say that it is your journey and no one else's. And if that is your journey, if you know in your heart and in your soul, and obviously with your partner, he's the only, or she or whoever your partner is, they're the only other person that matters. So as long as you guys are on the same page and you agree and you feel complete with the decision, then that's all you need to know. Did you ever have moments after making that decision where you thought, Hmm, maybe not. And the reason why I ask that is because quite often women in our space who have experienced birth trauma, it's called one and done. So you have one and then you're done because you just can't go through it again. But then there's always that little niggling, oh, but maybe for you, not, not, not caring what anyone else says or thinks, but just for your own self. Oh, absolutely. I definitely had those moments where I was like, oh, well, maybe I could have another one or maybe I should have, or I would dream about having more than one. And I'm like, oh, maybe my subconscious is trying to tell me something. Oh, like and a sign. A sign yeah. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. And especially because I get my books and stuff from my dreaming. I'm like, what is, what is going on in there? <laughs> yes. Right. Let's talk about your books because as a fellow author, writing is such a, an integral part of who we are and what we do. What type yes. of books do you like to write? So I write romance because I am a romance. I am a romantic, plain oh, and simple. I love love. I love, I love it all. <laughs> I'm a romantic for sure. And I like to write a little bit spicier romance. So for people that don't relate to spicy, it would be steamier, mm-hmm. uh, not not erotica, not anything really. I'm, granted, I've, I've read some wonderful eroticas, but I don't think I could write it very well, honestly, <laughs> but <laughs> I do. Shades of gray. No, not quite that elaborate, but I do like to keep it steamy and 
I've talked with you about this before. I like to do that because it, it keeps me connected to my sexual side and my feminine side. So it just, it not only is something that I enjoy and that I love to do, but it just, it just makes me feel good. Yeah. As a mom, how do you find time to write? I know a lot of our listeners who think like, cause look, they've all had these journeys, yes. traumatic births or not, but they feel that potentially their day job doesn't do it for them anymore and they want to try something else and I always suggest journaling because that's that's just me because I think it can help everyone I agree yeah so how did you get into it and then how do you do it as a mom because it's so busy it's easier now because he's in school so I've got that window while he's at school and then honestly now that I have an office I just say I'm gonna go write Mm. and I close the door and I write And I make that time. Now, honestly, if I had a newborn, it would probably be harder just because they need more of your attention. But when they go to sleep or when they nap, even if you only get 500 words on the page, which to some people probably sounds like a lot, but I promise you it's really not as much as you think it is. It's like a page and a half, depending on font and all that. Even if you only get that much down, that's still more than you did yesterday. So that's right no matter what you get in, even if you only get 200 words, it's still something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just writing something from the brain, the brain power is just, yeah. And where can, do you sell your books? Obviously. Where can I do? I do on Amazon, lovely old Amazon. I did what, and I'm I'm not sure if you did the same. I'm an indie author, which means that I published it myself. Mm -hmm. So they're available on Amazon under my name. I don't use a pen name. So I'm pretty sure I'm the only Rietta. I could be wrong, but. (laughs) It's interesting to know because when people are making the transition to a new career, they're like, well, how do I make money from this? I think, I mean, this is a little bit off topic, I guess, but for anyone who's listening going, well, yeah, I would like to write a book. How do I sell it? It's something that I learned along the way is that writing books doesn't pay the mortgage. There's got to be kind of something else. It's more like a, would you say it's more like a passion project? Yeah, at least for now, I hope one day it'll be more, but I know that like anything, it takes time. You know, you're not going to be like any job. You're not going to be the CEO the day that you walk in the door. Correct. So I'm not going to be a New York bestseller overnight. It does happen to some people, but I mean, look at, I can't remember her name right now, but the author of Where the Crawdads Sing, she's 75 years old and that was her first bestseller. So you never know when it's going to happen. You just do what you love and hope that it eventually will grow to what you inspire it to be. But one thing that my husband said to me, which really sat with me, it's not about the money. That's not the only thing that makes you successful that book is on the shelf and that in itself is a success. I love your husband for saying that. That is so phenomenal because he's so right. I mean, I never wrote a book to make money. It's just to share something with the world. It's also to fill your own cup. That to me is priceless. No amount of money can give you contentment and make you feel good on the inside genuinely. I could give you $50 right now, Rietta. Do you know research will tell us that that $50 will make you happy for less than 20 seconds? I believe that. You were like, oh, thanks, Steph. I'm going to go and buy. What am I going to buy? 20 seconds later, someone else is going to walk in the room and go, mom, what's for dinner? And you'll say, oh, okay, yeah, what what $50? Like it, it doesn't stay with you. But like you said, and your husband said, that book on the shelf behind you 
you, your name, your story, multiple stories, is a legacy. Of yes, your it'll always be there. Yes, yep. and it will always make you feel good every time you see it. So our message, I guess, to all, anyone who's listening is that do something because it makes you feel good, right? Yes. And I think I would love to end on, would you have any advice for any of our listeners about how they can fill their cup enough as a parent to feel good as a parent? Does that make sense? I think, yeah, I think something that was the best for me because it it started as a downfall and then I figured it out. They're not kidding when they say comparison is the, is the death of joy or the thief of joy. Mm-hmm. So don't compare your journey with anyone else's, your sister, your best friend, the random pretty girl on Instagram, any of it, because it's just going to make you feel like crap. (laughs) I mean, and Instagram is only giving the snapshot of what these people are putting up. So you don't even know half of what is going on in their life. Hmm. Just live your journey the way you want to live it. Don't compare it to anybody else because it's just going to make it feel less important. It's not, it's you're, there's only one you and you're the only one that can live that journey. So live it to the fullest and don't give a crap about what anybody else thinks. <laughs> I love it. And for anyone who wasn't sure, I obviously put the links in the show notes, but you have a podcast, which is how to deal when shit gets real, which is what drew yes. me into t- t- to meeting you in the first place. Because even that title says to me, things are not going to be perfect. They're not going to be Instagram perfect all the time. So then how do you deal with it? How do you work through that? And I think it would be worth it for any of our listeners to go and check that podcast out because you're going to hear lots of different stories on how to deal with adversity. Yeah. Thank, well, thank you for that lovely plug. I'm going to have to save that for later. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, so we've true. Talked to, we've talked to so many amazing people and that was our hope. We originally just, it actually is funny. We, it started off as a joke, our podcast and just something to fill our cup, just something to do because it felt good. Yeah. And then we started interviewing all these wonderful people, Steph included, that were willing to be so raw and let people know that they weren't alone in whatever journey that they might be going through, that it became this amazing thing, way more than we ever thought it would be. And that connection, that that connection is so, so, so important. I can't thank you enough for everything that you have shared with us today. I really appreciate you so much, Rietta. Thank you. Thank you once again. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I'm so glad I got to chat with you again. So a couple of really great things came out of this chat with Rietta. Number one for me was that do not allow other people's judgment to make you feel bad about your personal decisions. Just like Rietta choosing to have one child and then having her family pass that judgment onto her, I thought that was really brave of her to share that. And I hope to be able to take some of that into my own conversations in life. Number two is to do the things that light you up. For Rietta, that is authoring. And just quietly, I hope by the end of this season and our following seasons, we have inspired you, the audience, enough to think, yeah, I do have an amazing story because you do. And whatever medium you choose to do that, if it's a blog post, if it's a book that you publish, if it's as a podcast guest, or you create your own podcast You absolutely can do all of that. And I know in future directions, we're actually going to teach 
our audience how to do that because it has been so liberating. Like I said in the intro, this is what lights me up. And until you've tried it, you don't know. Maybe it could light you up too. Maybe you could find that joy in storytelling and sharing and talking to make you feel good too. Because I can tell you, living with prolapse and being able to sit sedentary behind a computer is the way of the future for me. I can function, I can do things, and I can still use my brain, my heart, my head, my soul, and help people. I don't have to physically be standing. It feels like such a win after such a long journey of feeling like nothing's that great. I guess this kind of ties in really well with what's coming up on this week's Fast Friday episode. I know sometimes you hear me, you might hear me call it a live Q&A, a Fast Friday. It's having a little bit of an identity crisis, these shorter episodes on a Friday. So if you've got a really good name for them, please feel free to send it through. <laughs> but basically, there are our episodes that are just short covering the news in this prolapse space either in Australia or globally. This week, we are going to be having a conversation about a new policy document that is replacing the one that was in existence when I gave birth in 2015. Now, you're going to have to tune in to find out more about it. But what I will say is if you would like to join the conversation and be part of it, they only go for about 10 minutes. If this is you, you just need to download the Podbean app on your phone And then on the day, on Friday at 10 o'clock, you can request to join in. It's like a radio station. So there's no face, there's no video. It's just pure audio and we can have a chat about it. This is really where Brave Mama started, is looking at the policy documents. So the fact that there has been a new blueprint for action, even in draft form, is promising. And just before we go, here's a really quick message from our podcast partner, the Continents Foundation of Australia. If you've ever experienced poor bladder or bowel control and you don't even know where to start, just know it could be better managed or even curved with the right treatment. If you do nothing, it could potentially also get worse. So if you're looking to find help, you can call the National Continents Helpline on one 800 Double three double zero double six, and speak directly to a nurse continent specialist for free and confidential advice. You can call anytime from Monday to Friday, 8am until 8pm. We would like to thank the Continents Foundation for their support. Go and get the help you deserve. Until next week, bye for now. Brave. Mama.